Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We talk about things like a successful culture, improving employee experience, making sure you're designed to bring talent in, uh, or even building a learning program, you have to understand the employee perspective. My understanding is that um, the psychology of work seeks to understand that perspective. Um, So today we have a guest who specializes in these types of things. We're pleased to have Diane Sadowski-Joseph, Director of Facilitator Development at Life Labs Learning with us today. She uses her specialization in adult learning, strategic communication, and behavior change to help Life Labs facilitators become world-class educators. Before she was at Life Labs, Diane built PeopleOps, L&D, and Train the Trainer programs in organizations around the globe. She also studies the difference between average and great influencers in the people ops space. Diane, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Help us at the stage. What is psychology of work? Well, the psychology of work is a very broad umbrella, um, but there's one concept in particular that I think summarizes it beautifully. Uh, And that's a a model that we've come up with at Life Labs called the CAMPS model. And CAMPS is an acronym. And what it stands for is uh, the five brain cravings that tend to show up most at work. Right. So uh, C is for certainty. Our brains crave a feeling of certainty at work. So if you think about you want to know what does success look like? Um, How am I being evaluated? Uh, what can I expect? Um, then there's the craving for autonomy, right? Which is that feeling of ownership or, uh, well, it can be ownership or it can be guidance, right? So mm-hmm. knowing that I have just the right amount of freedom at work. Um, then it's meaning. So does my work make a difference? Does it connect to something that is meaningful to me? Progress which is our craving to feel like we are moving forward, both in our careers and in our projects. And lastly is social inclusion. So do I feel like I have the relationships that I need to be successful in my work? So altogether, that's, that creates kind of your camps, right? And when it comes to the psychology of work, you really, almost any issue can kind of be boiled down to how it impacts those five dimensions. Well, thank you for, uh, for describing those to me. Um, I think I saw a lot of familiarity in sort of the best practices for creating a happy workplace in there, um, yeah. particularly with, you know, kind of the troubles that a lot of organizations have. Like, uh, what, was, what was C again? Certainty. Certainty. You know, there's always these uh, transparency issues in organizations where people are set afloat. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going to happen, which is the opposite, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And especially if an organization, we work with a lot of really rapidly growing and scaling companies. Uh, we, We specialize in kind of the tech and the startup space. 
And so trying to create an optimal feeling of certainty is, is a real challenge when the leaders themselves aren't able to predict what the company is going to look like in three months, six months, or a year. So, I mean, the acronym is simple, but the solutions are a lot more complex. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, and your particular specialty is has to do with learning and development, right? Correct. Um, how do you connect learning and development to to this approach? Yeah. So um, first and foremost, I think giving empowering people to to use these tools themselves is the first thing. So my approach to learning development is very much about helping people build skills, right? So uh, and to me, the difference between knowledge and a skill is a skill is something that you do. Knowledge is something that you know, right? And so uh, a skill means that you are actually able to implement it yourself once the learning is complete. Mm. And that actually aligns a lot with our, um, with the way that we design trainings at Life Labs. The idea is that you should leave the room already able to do a lot of the things um, that we talk about. So for example, with the camps, um, one really simple way that any sort of manager or leader can use this framework is to actually just do camps check-ins with their team on a regular basis. So you can create your own kind of numbering, right? One to five, one to 10. And I might sit down with you and I might say, Jim, um, how are you feeling about your certainty right now? Give me a score from one to 10. Uh, how are you feeling about your autonomy, your mean, feeling of meaning, um, feeling of progress, feeling of inclusion? And just, just by getting those, getting kind of that, those numbers can give us an idea of where should we focus the conversation, right? Um, what are kind of the hot spots for you as an individual? Um, and then if you get those numbers across, say, a team or an organization, that helps you identify what are some of the hot spots of the organization, right? Where we're either doing really well or where we may want to investigate and invest some time and resources into boosting feelings of certainty or inclusion or et cetera. Yeah, I see a lot of familiarity with the, you know the approach towards at least uh, doing some sort of survey or asking um, employees how they're how they're doing. Yeah, is usually a good starting point for really kind of any employee engagement effort. Um, but I imagine that if you do that for in the with the goal of setting the stage for um, training. Uh, that 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 that's a pretty direct approach. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, about how this links to 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 training. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I initially, um, once you have an idea of kind of where where the hotspots are, either for an individual or for a team, that provides a great starting point to figure out what the learning objectives should be. Right. So ultimately, uh, training is all about helping people learn the skills and the tools that they need to be successful in their job. And that's actually how learning links to performance, right? If there is a gap in performance, um, there may come down to a number of factors, including skill and will or systems. Um, but it often comes down to people just don't know what to do, right? So for example, a persistent problem that we see 
is in a lot of organizations is people have new managers or inexperienced managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it comes down to is they actually don't know when, when it comes to things like, how do I engage my employees? How do I boost performance? Um, how do I retain people? They actually don't know what the steps are, right? What should I actually be doing day to day or putting on my to-do list um, to create those outcomes? And then even once I have some of those, you know, let's say some of those meetings or check-ins, um, what do I actually do within within the, those meetings, right? So by right. by uh, kind of on the macro level, by getting data on how we're doing, as an organization, that gives us an idea of learning goals. So, for example, let's say, let's say social inclusion was a hotspot for our organization, right? The next step might be to understand what is leading people to feel excluded, um, and then the next step after that might be to say, all right, let's take a look at some of our uh, processes and uh, do some training so that people can interview without bias, so that people can communicate more clearly so that people are aware of their own patterns, right? And more aware of kind of the biases that they might be bringing into the workplace without without really realizing it. Um, so that's how kind of the, the through line of understanding leading to a learning outcome, uh, desired learning outcome, which then might lead to a series of trainings. And how do organizations other than you know, how do they initially understand this is something that we need to look after? You know, if they don't even know that they're supposed to ask the questions to their employees, how have you seen, say, some of your clients light upon the the notion that there's a there's something missing and that maybe maybe training is the solution? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of well, it comes down to kind of doing a, a gap analysis, and one of the the things, one of the frameworks that I really like, um, which if you talk to me long enough, you will know, you will start to notice I love frameworks, <laughs> um, <laughs> but is um, is the no think do framework. So mm. basically, if I'm looking at my team, and it, and most of the time, if you're speaking with say a leader in an organization, it's not going to be very difficult for that leader to start identifying places where they want to be better, right? Um, where, where the challenge might come in is understanding how do we go from, I know, I know what's wrong to, okay, I now have a learning plan for my people to get us where we want to go. And one of the simplest starting points is this no think do framework. So let's say I had, um, let's say I had a, a, a management team. Right, and I thought my management team is not doing a very good job of um, developing their employees' careers. Right, they're getting a lot of negative feedback. Maybe, maybe there was some turnover. You know, input from exit interviews that people are not satisfied with their managers and their ability to develop careers. Right, so I would take right. that information, and then I would apply it to this no think do framework. So first, I would say, okay, so. The goal is that managers are good at developing people's careers. So what do managers need to know in order to do that? What do they need to think? And then what do they need to be able to do? Right. And already that starts to give us an idea of the types of interventions 
um, or changes that might be helpful. So for example, what they might need to know is what are some career possibilities within the organization, right? So one might create something like a career map. Um, In terms of think, maybe some managers don't feel like career development is important. So maybe another step would be giving managers the input and the data to show them why these types of conversations are important, right? So sitting down, showing them the relationship between feeling of growth and long-term retention of high performers, for example, right? And there are lots of great research. Uh, You can show data from internal to your org, or you can look at research outside of your organization for that. Um, And then the last step is do. So let's say, you know, in the do column, we need to help managers actually have good career conversations, right? And so that's where doing something more like a traditional training might come in, where right. you, you, you say, okay, so let's break this, these conversations down. Let's give people some tools, um, you know, for example, some suggested frameworks, some templates. Let's have them practice. Let's have them practice applying, say, coaching skills or feedback skills within the context of those conversations and, you know, and kind of work through it and practice until the managers are at that desired level, right? So until you start getting positive feedback from the employees that, wow, my manager really does care about my career. That's a great answer. Um, You can always throw some frameworks at things, right? You can throw frameworks at it. And then uh, the key is, bringing the framework to life, right? <laughs> yes. Um, the, I want to talk about hurdles for a second. You know, uh, I, you see this a lot in relationships, but you also see it at work where people feel stuck or trapped, and that could be employees or managers. And the reasons are that there's there's something that they perceive to be uh, immovable, some immovable force that's in their way. So we'll take, take the example of career development. Let's say I'm a manager. I've got five or six people underneath me. They all work at the same level. I'm above them. I don't see any place for them to move up without losing them to another team in the organization. And so I would say, okay, well, this is a wall. So there's no point in me even trying um, to to develop their career because that just means that they're going to leave, you know, and what kinds of walls or hurdles like that, do you regularly see that people think are insurmountable, but really can be navigated around? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a very normal one, right? So I don't see any place for them to grow. And therefore, why bother? Um, some other walls are, for example, resource constraints, time and resource constraints. Of, right. Um, I am a manager, but I'm also responsible for producing deliverables myself. Um, how can I possibly, you know, have, I don't have the time to, to do both well. And, and so, you know, I'm going to go to the thing that maybe feels the most comfortable um, or the safest, which is often the deliverable as opposed to the people. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so much of it does boil down to those time and resource constraints. Uh, and, you know, I think that kind of echoes through all sorts of things. So whether it comes to how do we, how do we recruit people, um, how do we succession plan, right? How do we uh, grow the team we have to be the team that we need 
even though the needs of the team might be radically different over the over the course of say six months or a year, like, you know, if you're scaling really rapidly, um, right. you don't necessarily want the same type of person or the same skill set. Um, that's not going to be as effective, right? And ultimately, it comes down to, you know, anything can be done if you have enough time and you have enough money, <laughs> but most people don't. Uh, and so, I guess th that's often where I I see the obstacles show up. There is hope, though. If if you want me to go into that part, <laughs> yes, please. No, no, we're just going to end it here. Um, just, just it's a dark note. Monday over here, anyway. So, you know, yeah, where's where's the where are the rays of sun? Yeah, the rays of sun. So, first of all, I think the the rays of sun is that um, one is that a lot of these obstacles, while they are they are real, I mean, it's not necessarily binary, right? Like, there's no, you know. It's not like, oh, I can either be a good individual contributor or a good manager. I can't possibly be both. Um, and so one is just you can kind of scale your expectations and still and still do a good a good job, right? So kind of everyone just take the pressure off to do everything perfectly all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in fact, actually, that's one of the even even life labs, we fall into this trap all the time. Uh, we got a bunch of people with like PhDs, perfectionists, all those stuff. So one of our company values is 80% is better than zero. Right. So just knowing that we're not always aiming for perfect um, is is really a, a freeing and liberating thing. Um, some other right. things that can really help though, when it comes down to obstacles, um, one is just a really good set of priorities, right? So if you can get good at understanding, um, what are we really trying to achieve right now? And, and focusing the time and resources on that, and then just letting some of the other stuff go. Right. So, um, one framework I love kind of on that can be applied on both the micro and the macro level is something called MITs. Right. This is something a lot of consulting firms use. Um, MIT stands for most important task. And mm -hmm. the idea is that at the beginning of your day, you write down your top two or three MITs. You cap it at two or three because life is going to happen. You're not going to get through all 18 things on your to-do list. <laughs> but <laughs> by having the top most important things on that list, it allows you to, one, consistently be able to kind of say no or not now to some of the things coming in um, and gives you that feeling of satisfaction and completion at the end of the day. So I may not have finished my to-do list, but I got the most important things done. And ultimately what it comes down to um, is that feeling of incremental progress, kind of looping mm -hmm. back to the psychology of work, that feeling of incremental pro progress is hugely important to our overall feeling of satisfaction in the workplace. There was actually a study uh, done at Harvard by a woman named Teresa Amabile. And she studied, she looked at, she had uh, thousands of um, office-based kind of white collar workers keep logs of their activities day to day over a, a period of months and then rate their satisfaction. Hmm. And what she found was that it actually wasn't the big milestones like promotion or you know, shipping the product or whatever it was, it wasn't actually the big milestones which led to sustained engagement. It was a feeling of small continued progress. 
Mm. Right. So if I, if I end my day feeling like I've accomplished something every day, even if that thing is small, then I'm going to be so much more resilient uh, and, and excited about starting the next day. I think that's something that leaders in particular could really benefit from understanding. There's a tendency uh, to be particularly, um, you know, our audience is HR professionals. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they are beholden to the leaders often directly, and the leaders are very goal-oriented and goal-driven. Yeah. You know, so you'll, their intervention usually comes with, like, we, we got to accomplish X project, and here's, you know, here's how we're going to do it. And then you you might get a check-in or two, and then when the when project's done, that's when you hear, like, good job, everybody, we did, you know, we did X. Yeah. And... Yeah. To me, those, and I'm sure I'm not alone, those always feel not really hollow, just kind of maybe even just a little disappointing. I, yeah. I like when I finish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because it's not like, okay, well, I'm done now with the work and it's, there's other stuff going on. It, it's really, it's never done. Those endpoints aren't, they're not really endpoints. Right. Um, you know, and that's something that I think that leaders often, it's not their their language isn't like the the on the same language as HR and that's that conflict is something that we have to pick apart all the time. So if we take this right. training thing for example, you know a leader might identify successfully identify a gap, a skill gap, and say, okay, well, um, you know, I solve problems by finding a a solution, you know, a product. Okay, I bought this training, implement the training, problem solved. We're done. Pack up, yeah. move on. And one of the things we hear from trainers a lot, and HR managers, is that training their training isn't sticking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, which is the worst waste of time of everybody's time and resources is to think you solved a problem when you didn't. Have a bunch of unsatisfied people in a room saying, "I can't believe I just spent three hours doing this, and it has nothing to do with my job." Yeah. You know, how do you, you know? How do you approach getting people to, like you mentioned earlier, leave a training knowing actually how to do the thing that you guys are talking about? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is something, of course, that we think a tremendous amount about uh, <laughs> because that's, I mean, our success is people not just enjoying themselves for two hours, but actually changing the way that they work as a result of that. Um, so, first of all, I think. It's, it, it's all about having, uh, one is just trying to make the training itself as sticky as possible when you have kind of that captive audience, right? And the, the, biggest, the biggest thing that I see, uh, the biggest mistake that I see people make is trying to pack too much into a short period of time, right? So it's kind of trying Absolutely. to really distill down okay, I get kind of one shot, I get one learning objective um, that, that hopefully people are going to walk away remembering. How can I find a lot of creative ways to get people to interact with that so that they walk away with that one thing, right? Because otherwise what happens is let's say I've got a, a workshop and I'm introducing 10 concepts. People are going to walk away with maybe two to three, and a lot of adult learning research bears this out. Um, if I present 10, 
then everyone's going to walk away with two or three different concepts. And so I haven't really done anything to create a culture around those behaviors. I haven't really done anything to create um, accountability towards that. Everyone's going to be kind of talking a different language. So first things first, narrow your focus, right? Pick the thing that's going to be most important. At Life Labs, we call these tipping point skills. So what are the skills that, if done well, will add value in other ways as well? Mm. So for example, um, training your managers to get really good at asking high quality questions, right? <laughs> that's, that's a great tipping point skill, right? If leaders and managers, et cetera, are asking great questions, that's going to improve the quality of all kinds of conversations. Um, same thing with feedback, right? If people are really good at giving feedback, that has positive ripple effects across a lot of different dimensions of an organization, right? So spend a little bit of time and, uh, and cut down the list to say, I'm going to focus on the skills that are most important. Yeah, I, have, uh, I forget where it was, some SHRM session where someone was talking about the capacity to um, truly absorb information in a useful way is, you know, a couple of things in, in an hour and maybe even in a day Yeah. and anything beyond that you're full. Right. It's like when you go to the museum and, you know, suddenly you get that sort of feeling where you're kind of dazed out and exactly. you don't, you know, you suddenly you have a headache maybe a little bit. It's like, you just took on too much stuff. Yeah. And you're going to remember a couple of things and the rest of it's just going to be, <laughs> just going to be a haze. You know, setting up the, t I imagine setting up the time, taking that timing into consideration and then also having a, uh, a way for what you learn to, to carry on in your, mm -hmm. you know, setting the, it's sort of like when you onboard people, if you have a great onboarding program, but you haven't created an environment for those people to survive, um, they'll be there and they'll be happy for a little while and then they'll, then they'll go. Absolutely. And that, that kind of is the second big component, which is um, when you are designing your learning programs, and this is something that we do when we work with our clients, is the training is one component of it, but it is not the end component, right? Like, in fact, the training, if, if you're kind of looking at a, a roadmap of a program, the training is kind of in the first third. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. the other two thirds are are accountability and reinforcement systems, right? Which are, I mean, that's, that, can, that can be as complicated as you want, um, but it can also be simple things like, like having managers ask their, or having leaders ask their managers, hey, have you been using these skills, right? Mm -hmm. Just like a little bit of social pressure coming from people of influence, that can be an accountability driver. Um, incorporating the skills and habits you want to see into any sort of systems you have to measure performance, right? So for example, if I want people to give good feedback, and I know one component of, of a healthy feedback culture is people asking for feedback, I might include that in my performance review of, um, you know, does this person ask for feedback on a regular basis? How does this person receive feedback, right? So just whatever you kind of want to see, you just want to make sure that it shows up again and again and again. Um, and I can tell you, I mean, even things like putting up posters, getting people to change their desktop, 
sending out calendar reminders. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. It just takes deliberate attention. Do you have um, any examples, and you know, without naming names, of um, a client or a company that you worked with where, you know, you saw they were doing exactly the wrong thing, and then, you know, in the end, they were doing much better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> um, sure, I will right? say, uh, I will say, most of the time, people aren't doing the wrong thing; they're doing the thing that felt right at the time. Uh, mm. And you know, we're all just doing our best. And I've I've been, you know, I've been in HR as you mentioned, and I've been internal, I've been external, I've been the person who, you know, I got like one day to try to make everybody exceptional leaders, <laughs> and you know, it's a lot of pressure and it's a lot, it's really intense. So, um, yeah, I mean, we we worked with a, a number of clients, and uh, one model that we found that works really, really well is uh, we have what we call manager core, which is like fundamental skills, right? Kind of what I mentioned earlier, those tipping point skills. And right. then we use a spaced learning approach, aka you're doing a max of two-hour workshops, and they're spaced apart either a week to two weeks apart, right? So we're not having people kind of give up their whole day. It's just a little nugget. Um, and then with the idea that we introduce skills in the workshops, we have them practice. Uh, then we give them one really specific, but really simple challenge, right? Like ask one more question this week. Um, then the next week we, we follow up, right? We come back in the room. We say, Hey, how did that go? What, what, what was easy? What was hard? Um, here's the next skill to layer on top of it. Right. So by doing that, um, that usually lasts about a, a month. Then we have a, a reinforcement program, kind of like a drip, like a drip campaign, basically, that follows after that of, of micro learnings. Um, and then we come back again in about three to six months. And just to say, like, hey, how's it going? Like, let's do a little bit of a tune up. And what we've seen as we've done this for um, not only companies, but we actually worked with one example that comes to mind, uh, we worked with a VC who put on this core program for a, a number of their portfolio companies, right? So these were managers from a variety of different organizations, went through this core, um, and they actually did a survey and they found that not only did, did everyone self-report that their performance improved, right? That they remember the skills and their performance improved. What was really exciting is that their managers six months after the training noticed a sustained improvement in performance mm. right so the the man the leaders who sent these these were frontline managers the, the leaders who sent these managers to this program actually saw a tangible change in behavior six months later which if anyone who's ever done training knows is a huge victory yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean that's what you want you yeah and i mean i think that's the other thing too is you know, with when you're in HR, it can be so tough because you're often expected to make changes that, frankly, you don't have the autonomy to make, right? So, you know, I you're expected to get all of the managers to to all be better feedback givers, but you're not the one doing the performance reviews. The managers aren't turning to you to be like, "Am I doing a good job?" 
Um, <laughs> so I think that's the other component of it is the more people you can get bought in to the skills, um, the more successful and more sticky it will be. So we, within a lot of these organizations, we, we, we often will start by working with managers, but we always try to work with senior level leaders as well, right? Um, just to make sure that anywhere someone looks, they're going to be seeing this behavior, right? Because ultimately that's how, that's how people learn and, and do manifest their skills in the workplace is they they look around for reinforcement. Right. Absolutely. And um, it'll be there whether anyone thought about it or not, positive or negative. 100%. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like if anyone ever has a small child and they start doing something weird, it's probably you. They're probably imitating you. <laughs> yes, they are. That's something uh, I've certainly experienced myself recently. Um, yeah, well, uh, this has all been great. And I think... Um, I think our audience will, will really enjoy it. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You're very welcome. Uh, is there anything else, any anything else that you want? Anything I can clarify? Uh, not that I can think of right now, but um, I'll certainly let you know if that's okay. something that that yeah. in the future that we need. Um, listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR work should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorks Podcast or with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. You can also reach out to me directly at jdavis at com. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HRWorks. <laughs>